Thank you. You may be seated. As I've said this week in our Advent journey, we look at the themes of, of uh, peace, the theme of peace, and the message of the prophets. Uh, I don't think it's a stretch to bring the two of them together. The vision of peace, uh, that is the message of the prophets. They go together very well. But we see uh, uh, God's vision of peace uh, is much deeper than ours, much bigger than ours. God's vision of peace is much more than the absence of war. It's much more than the prevalence of personal liberty. God's vision of peace is the good of the whole in right relationship with God. I think we all know times of external peace where we've experienced external peace, the look of peace, but conflicts bubbling within. Um, I, I came across, perhaps you saw it this week in News 24, an article by Clem Santner. Santner, yeah. Uh, he sort of looks at trends. He's been pretty good at thinking about world trends and looking at where it's going. Uh, about what does the next decade hold for the world and for South Africa. And one of the things he said about, uh, he said they did this exercise, I think, in uh, 89 or, or 1990, uh, looking ahead. And one of the things that they foresaw, and he's speaking about South Africa's situation, is South Africa, he said, uh, uh, this is from his analysis, would always face two choices, two high roads uh, or low roads to, to, to take. The first one was politically. Would South Africa take the high road politically or would we take the low road and descend uh, into conflict uh, and, and civil war? And he said we, did the great, we, we made the wonderful step of taking the high road uh, in, in, in terms of our political liberation. But he said there would always be another one to take and that's the economic injustice. How would we solve that? Because until that happens, we still face this conflict. So we've got peace on the outside, but inside we're bubbling. Uh, and he says, what road will we take? What does it look like for us to take the high road, not the low road? I don't think that's all there is to it. I want to add to it, what spiritual road will we take? It's not just about our politics and our economics. Uh, it's about the hearts of our nation. But there can be peace on the outside, but on the inside there's things bubbling. How do we deal with that? We could have personal liberties. We could say, well, we have the peace and the freedom to do what we want to do, but those things we want to do might not bring us peace. And they might bring us a sort of peace, but if it comes at the expense of others, is that peace? And so God's vision of, of peace is much more than these things. It's the good of the whole in right relationship with God. And you see that vision uh, which, which drives the story of the Scriptures from beginning to end. God's vision of peace is, if I can put it in a different way, it's of a just society that fears the Lord. And so we read in Isaiah, I'm going to quote every now and then from the passage in Isaiah in particular, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from the NIV version. But we read that wonderful description. The wolf 
shall dwell with the lamb. You can imagine this is a beautiful children's book uh, illustration as you go through it. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze and the young shall lie down together. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Uh, the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. I don't think it's meant to be a picture. As, this is not a scene from heaven. I don't think it's meant to, to give us a description. If someone asks you, what's heaven like? Say, well, they're lions uh, and they're cows and they lie right next to each other. <laughs> That's not what it's trying to say. It's actually unpacking everything that's just happened before that. It's talking about the kind of society, in this context particularly, the kind of king that will usher in this kind of society. And it gives an example. For example, the violent animals are now gentle towards their former prey. The ones who are strong are not a threat to the weak. They're a help and a support to the weak. And the king in this passage, as Isaiah talks about this one, uh, and as they pray for their king, Psalm 72, we won't read it in our service today, but Psalm 72 is a prayer for the king. If you don't know what to pray for, for our country, if you don't know what to pray for our leaders, any leaders of our society, Psalm 72. A prayer for a king and for leaders as described in Isaiah. They shall not, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This is the description of a society with, with a king that will lead the society to show compassion for the weak and toughness to the oppressor. You know, our, our default in a way uh, is not necessarily always uh, this in the first instance. You know, if we come into power or we come into something that is good, it's natural for us to say, I, I want to share this with these my friends, with these who I know. In a way, it's quite natural. It's not our first instinct to say, I'm going to think for the marginalized and the oppressed and the one who is without. But for God, the vision of peace is one of a just society in which it shows comp particular compassion for the weak and opposes the oppressor. But it says in this vision of peace in Isaiah, this happens when... They shall not hurt or destroy in all my, my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This happens when the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. When the earth knows and remembers what God is like. God is just and God is merciful. God is holy. He loves righteousness and justice. And here are pictures about what it looks like. Here are descriptions of that. When the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord 
and in particular in this passage, when we are led by the one who delights ear of the Lord. When the ones who lead us and the one who leads us is defined by this, they delight in the fear of the Lord. Now that concept, the fear of the Lord, is just, it, it's, it's not an easy one for us to think about. Uh, we just, the word fear conjures up so much for us. But try to forget, in a sense, about some of those things that we instinctively think about fear. But think about it rather this way. That which you fear controls your life. I think it's just, it's quite true. That which we fear does tend to exert a powerful control on us. In many ways, the decisions that we make can be defined by what we fear. What do we think about looking forward? What do we fear? And we make decisions that will help us to try and eliminate or bypass uh, that fear or make it through. Thinking of an example where, I don't know if you, uh, you wanted to say something challenging or perhaps something encouraging. And you know you've got to say it. And you're about to say it, but you're with others and you think, I wonder what they will think. I'm not going to say that. I can't say that. And it's the fear of, of what they uh, might think that is controlling what you're doing. Fear can play a powerful controlling effect on our lives. We all fear some things. So what is controlling your life? What if we feared only God? What if the one who was controlling our life, the one in which we thought of more than anything else, who we wanted to please more than anything else, was the one who is just and righteous and holy and merciful. Doing God's work and if walking in God's ways was our ultimate delight because we fear ultimately only God. Now the prophet says, Israel, and the world is waiting for the one who will delight in the fear of the Lord. And so this vision of peace is much deeper than what we might just conjure up with if we, if we could. It's a vision uh, of peace that is just and righteous. But that's not the only focus of the prophet in this passage and throughout the scriptures. The focus is on the kind of society and the kind of life that we are called to live. But the focus of the prophet, even greater than that, is always on and directs our attention back towards the faithfulness of the Lord, who is just and merciful. We're left just with a society that's bankrupt and in need of righteousness and justice. We are always focused and our attention drawn towards the faithfulness of the Lord, who is just and merciful. And so in this passage in Isaiah, it is the hope, the promise of a messianic king who will establish God's justice and righteousness and bring peace. 
And Israel has this hope over and over again for every king that comes, that this is the one who will do it. (laughs) But the Lord says, there will be, I will provide a king who will be faithful. He will be from, uh, 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 come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse, the the father of David, who who typifies and signifies for Israel the promised king that God will bring them. He will be empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. It's not that it will be just up to him and his strength. It will be the Spirit of the Lord that enlivens him and guides him and strengthens him. That spirit of the Lord is literally the the breath, the life-giving spirit of God shall rest upon him. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will be God's faithful king. And the prophets and Israel and society waits for God's promised and faithful king. They're called to, to walk in God's ways, but they know they need more than that. They need this promised and faithful king. Fast forward to the Gospel of John. Uh, Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew. And John the Baptist says, this king is coming. Get ready. They've heard this before, by the way, for probably uh, hundreds of years they've been waiting. And someone's saying the king's been coming. John the Baptist says he's on his way. Bring judgment and mercy, but he's on his way, so get ready. And according to the prophets, uh, uh, they, they say in order for God to come, they need to be pure and holy. They need to, their hearts and our hearts need to be turned back to the Lord so that when God brings his judgment, we can be safe. God can, can say, you are mine, you come with me. And so they come. Uh, John starts baptizing them in the Jordan River. They had to cross through that Jordan to get into the promised land. Now they need to cross and be cleansed again to prepare for God's coming kingdom. And they're coming to be purified, to be cleansed uh, for, for this coming king. And John says, uh, John the Baptist says, and he's going to come not only with water, but with fire. And he's going to bring the judgment that the world needs to be made holy and pure. And in the passage that we didn't read that follows just after this one, just as John's saying that, and those who are coming to be baptized come and submit to John's baptism. Jesus comes along and John the Baptist believes that this is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And Jesus does something which John doesn't understand and doesn't make sense to him. The one who is coming to bring judgment says, I need to be baptized by you. He says, how on earth can you need to be baptized by me? You're the one coming to bring judgment. Jesus says, in effect, that may be true, but I am coming to identify with those who are facing the judgment. I'm coming to get into this water and be baptized with you. It's a very powerful moment and one that confuses them and us. And we think, how does this all make sense? Jesus, God in his mercy, identifying with all of us who need to face God's judgment. 
And we fast forward the story. Uh, Isaiah says, in that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the people. It'll be a banner for the world when God raises up this king. Well, Jesus raises a banner on uh, Golgotha. He raises a banner. He, He faces and accepts the judgment of the world. And in doing so, he pronounces God's judgment on all oppression and injustice. He accepts it, but he announces God's judgment. Throw your best at me. It will not last. I will overcome it. I get this image of a boxer who you expect this guy to come in. I don't know if anyone watched the, the heavyweight boxing fight last night. I, I didn't. I wanted to. I didn't know where it was watching. But I, 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 I get an image of this boxer. You're expecting the champion to come in and swing and just smash the other boxer uh, down with one punch, lights out. And rather than coming out flying with punches, he stands there and his opponent starts beating and, uh, and smashing with his best that he's got. And he knocks down uh, this promised uh, savior. He gets knocked down. What's going on? He gets up. You think he's going to start swinging? He doesn't. The opponent comes again, smashes him with everything that he's got. He hits him, drops him down. He thinks, now I've got him. What happens? He stands up again. And this happens over and over and over until uh, the opponent realizes Everything that I do, I can give everything that I've got, I'm not overcome. Jesus takes upon himself the judgment. He faces, uh, he faces all judgment and, and oppression. And in doing so, in taking it upon himself and rising again, he pronounces God's judgment. I will overcome this. God's uh, promised servant identifies with those who need mercy and he takes upon himself the judgment of the world. What does this mean for us as we think about peace and the prophet's message? Well, one, it means that the prophet's message is, and this is, this is true right throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the message of the prophets is a message of judgment and mercy that brings peace. It's the mixed judgment and mercy that bring peace. We do not want peace without judgment. It lets injustice carry on. We don't want that. We need God's judgment. You need God's judgment in your life. You need him to say, my child, my son, my daughter, that's not right. That's not what's best for you. You need that. We need that. But it's, a, it's also a message of mercy. Judgment, in actual fact, doesn't have the final word. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, you may need that, but let me bring you the mercy that you need. 
It might be hard to accept God's judgment. I found in my life it's even harder to accept God's mercy. It's even harder to accept that those things which I deeply regret liberate me from that. That those things and those enemies that I truly hate, God can forgive them. He can even work that forgiveness in me. It's even harder to accept God's mercy than his judgment. But the message of the prophets and the message at Advent is one that the peace that is coming brings the judgment and the mercy that we need. And it's fulfilled in Christ. And so our challenge is, this morning and this time of Advent, are we preparing our hearts for the coming Christ? Are we devoted to God? Can we say, Lord, I know I don't fear you as I ought to, but I want to. I want to delight in the fear of the Lord. Come this Advent. Let your refining fire chip away at all those things in me that are not of you. I want to be devoted to you. And are we devoted to following Christ? God's refining fire will bring peace within but empowers us to be peacemakers as we go out, following Christ in making peace. Will justice and mercy uh, be the flavor of our lives this Advent? If you think about your friendships, if you think about your family, if you think about your work, if you think about your society, your community, will you be bringers of God's uh, of, of God's peace this Advent. Bringing judgment with mercy and mercy that's fused with righteousness and justice. Let, let me pray in, in closing. Lord, we thank that you really know what we need. We can't hold it all together we can't control what's going to happen and what happens to us. But we can trust you. You have promised, Lord, that your coming kingdom is one of peace in which righteousness and justice reign. And Lord, the, the, the arithmetic needed to get from here to there doesn't seem possible. But by your grace in Christ Jesus, you've made a way. As we stand, Lord, with the prophets and the people of Israel who waited for your first coming, we wait for you to come afresh and anew into our lives. We celebrate, Lord, that we have seen you in a way more fully than what they have. We've seen your justice and your mercy revealed to the world in Jesus. And we wait on you, Lord, to make that truer and deeper in our own lives. Holy Spirit, bring your refining fire and your liberating mercy to us this Advent as we open our hearts to you and use us to be bringers and makers of your peace as we walk out of St. Michael's this morning. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.